Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This Sunday, we of course remember and rejoice in the resurrection of our Lord as we do every Sunday. This particular Sunday, we have two, at least two commemorations. I should say three, also tagging on. I feel like she often is forgotten, the nun Barbara, who was a faithful companion to St. Elizabeth. But we have as our primary commemoration in the Menaean the fathers of the first six ecumenical councils. But we also have the commemoration of St. Elizabeth the New Martyr, who is one of the say most beloved saints of this past century she definitely uh, has I know many people named for her one of them being my eldest Elizabeth Uh, she for many ways especially for those who had converted to the orthodox faith she's very attractive and I don't mean because she was lauded throughout her life for her physical beauty that she was someone who actually converted to the Orthodox faith. She married, now I'm going to start getting into waters that I'm always a little cautious to wade into, is remembering all of the relationships of royalty to each other. So she married the uncle, if I remember correctly, of Tsar Nicholas, who we, the royal passengers, whom we actually remembered well, technically today, but not liturgically today. Uh, she married the Duke Serge, and it was because she grew up, if I remember correctly, her grandmother would have been Queen Victoria of England. So she uh, weds, she, she has the British element, and then she grew up in Germany, and then she ended up in Russia, and she grew up Lutheran. So we have, especially for converts in North America, she sat her path, except for royal, marrying into royalty, right? That's like Disney for us. Uh, she stands as someone that we can read about her life. Of course, we can see pictures. You can go and see the piano where she lived, where she scratched her name, her nickname into the piano, Ella, there uh, at the convent that still stands that she founded in Moscow, but we see in her someone who not only does she have ties to, maybe we can see it, the, that she has ties somehow to England, so Germany, or what is today Germany, because at the time it was all little kingdoms and broken up, uh, that she was named actually, or she took after a, a Catholic saint that goes back in her life to St. Elizabeth of Hungary, and in many ways, uh, the life of St. Elizabeth of Hungary, uh, St. Elizabeth and Neumar's life echoes with the same themes, which is even though she was of a royal family, she, especially her mother, taught her to serve, to live in simplicity, even though she was of royalty, and to focus on those who needed help. She became an Orthodox, not in order to marry, but of her own free will after she had married. And she lived in Russia, and she encountered Orthodoxy, and then she joined the Orthodox faith. 
of her own free will. It wasn't one of those arranged situations where it was like, okay, if you want this to happen, you've got to convert. It was something that she did of her own free will. And not only of her own free will, as a kind of like begrudgingly, but she, with her full heart, entered into the life of the Orthodox Church. Her husband was killed by a grenade, and he was buried, and when she buried him, of course, she went into mourning. The cross that she put above his grave had a quote that she will then echo as she was facing the end of her own life, which was the cross on the grave of her husband saying, forgive them for they know not what they do. She, after losing her husband and the tumultuous time, because there was even there was tumultuous um, political movements, even up until the Bolshevik Revolution and all of the mayhem that followed that, she then decided to fully dedicate her life to helping those, and it was especially the war uh, between Japan and Russia that kicked things into gear for her in sending things for troops and then tending to those who had been sick. And she, especially if we have not all the icons, but many of them, the reason why she is in all white, uh, the only other person I can think of in Orthodox who is in all white is the Patriarch of Romania. But the reason why she is in all white is because when she started off what she was doing, uh, the sisterhood, there was a little bit of, because um, this is not traditional wear. You don't wear all white. You wear can you guess what the color is that you wear when you become a nun? Black. <laughs> she caused a little bit of a stir because of she wanted a community, in Mar uh, naming it Mary and Martha, that she wanted to wed the active and the contemplative life together. And this is not necessarily a, no, not it's not a traditional way to talk about Orthodox monasticism. That doesn't mean that there's variations of Orthodox monasticism where some will little, live a little bit more in the world, some will live a little bit more secluded. Uh, but what she is doing in creating this sisterhood, where there's a kind of in-between state, eventually this all gets ironed out and made to a, a normal uh, convent, etc. but was basically not taking a vow and serving as uh, nurses and help for people. So she wore white uh, because she was not fully uh, taking the habit in the same way that others would. And this was, she's actually uh, criticized for bringing Protestantism into the Orthodox Church. Well, she's German, she's Lutheran, right? So she's, um, later the, if I remember, it might have been a Metropolitan, it wasn't Metropolitan, it was Archbishop, uh, retracted the statement once he saw uh, and repented of what he said about her because he saw the life and what happened through her work. But she threw herself completely into, while she could have continued to go to all the balls, all the social things, she threw herself completely into a life of not just activity, because she founded uh, a community that was to really be active in serving people and helping people. But they, if I remember the name correctly, right, called Mitrofan, who was the confessor and spiritual father for their group, uh, they had a full cycle of services. They did matins and vespers and the hours and they had divine liturgy. They had a regular cycle of services and they were going to them. It wasn't something that they just kind of did and then they did other things and other people, you know, some people went to church and everybody. 
they completely submit themselves to the life of the church, and out of that submission to the life of the church, they were able to bless, help uh, raising orphans, some who eventually grew up and became uh, workers there in the hospital and the places that they were able to help people. The Bolshevik Revolution comes along and all of the chaos with it, and Mary and Martha <coughs> convent there stands. Because why would you destroy something that's helping so many people? If you are in the process of transition of power, you don't want to blow everything up. So, well, you choose sometimes with reason and sometimes insanity what you want to blow up at that time. But this was something that they saw that worked for them. They weren't ready, there's too much popular support. Can you imagine what it was like to be in that chaos with something that you had brought into existence to see all of the death because you would have been hearing about the murders, the disappearings, the violence. And yet, if I remember correctly, it's about a year or so where they continued along the path of doing what they were supposed to do while everything around them was in chaos. Eventually, of course, the tide turned or some other person making decisions made a decision the royal family was taken, and so was St. Elizabeth, and with her went the nun Barbara. They were taken out. It's not as far as, I'm not going to even try to say the name, I'm going to butcher it, Ecklenburg, wherever the royal family were eventually killed. They were, they were taken close to there, and eventually the word comes down the line that they were to be killed and so there was a few of them put together, and they were thrown into a deep, abandoned mine. Some of them were injured, some even died from the fall, and they could hear them down below. They started singing hymns, and then, because they wanted to make sure the job was done, they threw grenades down to make sure that the job was done. They could still hear St. Elizabeth singing the Trubic hymn, and saying, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so she ended her life in martyrdom with a faithful companion, the nun Barbara. The story does not end there. Their relics, their bodies were found, and they're actually transported to Jerusalem, where they, earlier in her life, had helped uh, bring many sacred instruments, objects, you know, chalice, discos, to St. Mary Magdalene, the church there uh, around Jerusalem. St. Elizabeth is one of those incredibly engaging and attractive characters. She's very beautiful to behold physically, but it was, of course, the virtues, the love, the service, even unto the very end, that we look to, to we ask for her prayers, that we seek to imitate in our own life, as she, and all the variety and all the things that her life touches upon, draws us to the truth of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. May we have her prayers and the prayers of the nun Barbara and all of the fathers of the first six ecumenical councils. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.